expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome to episode 127 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where Nick, sometimes the biggest con on con-goers can be the guest list. Yeah, and we're going to, you know, normally we open the show all happy and joyful and yay, but today we're going to be pretty much issuing a big F you to Wizard World right now. I mean, come on, guys. First of all, I'm James Witham alongside... The Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. I mean... We're talking about Wizard World Richmond in particular, okay? Now, for those who don't know, we are based in Virginia Beach, Virginia. So Richmond is right up the road. So, you know, we always kind of look at cons that are near to us and say, you know, do we want to go cover this? Do we not kind of thing? So we look at the guest list for Wizard World Richmond. And now, mind you, this was progressive. So first they announced, uh, you know, they announced some... Some nerdy type guests, you know, Kevin Sorbo's going to be there and whatnot. And then there was like, okay, they announced somebody from the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And I'm going, what? And then it was Gene Simmons. And I go, huh? Well, Gene Simmons, I can understand because you had the Kiss comics from back then. So he at least he has a borderline, certain tie. Borderline, yeah. Right. But, at least has a certain tie to the nerd world. But here's the kicker, man. This is the one that shoved your boy right off the edge was when they announced that Ryan Lochte... Yes, don't you don't even have to Google that name in nerd culture anymore. If you don't know who Ryan Lochte is, you've been asleep for like a year. Okay? Why, Wizard World? Why? What does this have to do with nerd culture, comics, science fiction, maybe fantasy, I guess, I don't know. But come on, guys. <laughs> well, as, as a friend of ours pointed out, he is a storyteller. Yeah, thanks for that, Steve. That was a good one. <laughs> so, I mean, l- listen, to cons out there, this is, I'm, I'm speaking now not really as a nerd, but more as a member of the media. When you want us to cover your cons, you have to give us people we want to go cover. You have to give us a reason to go travel to your conventions in the first place. And having a convention where, especially something like Wizard World Richmond, we look like another Wizard World like tours. I think it was like Chicago or somewhere up north. And they had like Jillian Anderson and some you know major nerd guests. And what does Richmond get? Oh, we get Ryan Lochte. We get Backstreet Boys and some people from NSYNC. Really? Like, really? And and that makes me like, turn my nerd hat on and say, I don't want to go to this, man. I don't want to go to it. Not I don't to mention they lost. There. Not to mention they lost Lou Ferrigno. Right. So you replaced Lou Ferrigno with Johnny Backstreet or whatever his name is? Come on, man. Right. Yeah, I just don't get it, dude. And, and the thing is, is, you know, to again, to cons out there, when you're scheduling guests... And I know why I'm doing Ryan Lochte because for the even though it's a horrendous reason as to why he's very popular now, he is the hot commodity. He's right. the name that's out there. He's doing yeah, dancing I with totally stars. Yeah. Oh, let's get Ryan Lochte because that'll get people there. And it's like, oh, God, but damn you're getting it. the wrong people there. That's the right. problem. You're getting people there, but what do you think Artist Alley's going to look like? Right. No, you right. think the people that are coming to see Ryan Lochte 
are going to go to Artist Alley and pick up a print or a sketch? Hell no, they're not going to do that. But or not, how about the vendors, too? I don't, although, based on this, I wonder what kind of vendors they're going to have. But not just that. Remember, there are fire codes. You can only have so many people in a building at one time. So you're telling me that how many people are going to be there just to tell Ryan Lochte to fuck off? A lot. Could be. Yeah. And so you're telling me you're going to fill, the, you're going to fill this place. It's supposed to be filled of fun and enjoyment and and fantasy. You're just going to put somebody out there just so you can get the wrong crowd to come into this convention center or wherever you're holding it and just tell him off and stand in line and go home saying, yeah, I stood in line for two hours to, to tell Ryan Lochte to kiss my ass. Maybe they're going to just start, maybe Wizard World should just start an angry con where they can invite guests like Ryan Lochte and Colin Kaepernick and a whole bunch of other people. To just gather in a room together. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, come on, you're doing this just to sell tickets, but you're selling tickets to the wrong people. These are people that are going to go see who they want to see and be out the door in 10 minutes. Not just that, but for future cons in general, like say, oh, we want to get Kevin Smith or some big name. And they're going to look at this like, man, you guys had these guys here. And there's nothing to do with nerd culture. You know, out, you know, they're personal, what they did personally aside. It's like, this is have nothing to do with nerd culture, so why do I want to come here, you right. know? Right, and I realize that I'm sure that there, there are people that have done Wizard World cons, like creators and stuff like that. I'm sure that there are people that have had good experiences, have been treated well by Wizard World, and that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that Wizard World doesn't treat the people that they bring to their cons well. What we're saying is, is take a look at what you're getting from a comic book convention. If you want to rename it, an entertainment convention and be done with it, fine. You cannot call yourself a comic book convention when you're booking guests like this just to get people in the door. Yeah, man. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the years going forward. But come up next, we have two new comics to dive into this week. What reading is coming up next in the Down Nerdy Podcast? This is writer Greg Pock, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, there is time we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And James, I'll go first this week. Now, normally on the show, we don't do a lot of mid-run stuff. We do most like number one, zero issues, stuff like that. Kind of give people an idea of what a series could be like and what the first impression is. But I decided, you know what? Hey, you wrote a review last week about Wonder Woman during her mid-run. I'm going to do one about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers during its mid-run. Of course, issue number six. Of Money More from Power Rangers came out this week. Now, of course, the writer is Kyle Higgins. The illustration is done by Hendry Presedia, and the colors are done by Matt Herms. I will say this of all the covers I've seen in comics recently, I want to take a just a big picture of this cover that was, of course, done by Jamal Campbell, frame it and hang it on my wall because it's one of those beautiful covers. I've seen, especially on the Power Rangers comic. So what you're going to say is you're going to track him down at a con somewhere and hope and pray that there is a print for this thing. Oh, yeah. So you can go ahead and hang that up on your wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, outside of blowing it up, I want a nice 11 by 17 of this cover. Yeah, because is. It is just so detailed, so beautiful. Of course, you get the uh, reflections of the Black Dragon and all their visors. And that's what the story talks about. The story talks about the Black Dragon, who is the new antagonist, he's helping out Rita Repulsa, and pretty much in this thing is, if you've seen the Power Rangers movie, where they lose their powers, that's what this is kind of dealing with. And this is what I like that Kyle does with the writing, is that this deals with the command center's been destroyed, Alpha's pretty much 
I don't know if he's dead, but he's his power's off. Zordon's gone. You know, the Power Rangers are at their most vulnerable. And that's one thing that he really captures really well in this issue is the vulnerability of the Rangers. And they end up going to this different dimension and thinking that they're safe when really turns out they might not be so safe. And I think in the Power Rangers, especially if you watch the shows, they've had a lot of villains, which was Villains of the Week. They always get destroyed by the Megazord. This one, the Black Dragon, is here to stay for a while because this is... I think he's a step below Lord Zed in terms of power wow. because this guy, I mean, when you can reach into pretty much another dimension and try to strip the power away from the Rangers, that's impressive. And not just that, but he's smart. Like the things that he does in this to get after the Rangers is smart. And it's, it's really grabs me and like, wow, this is just going all out, throwing Hail Marys and just being tactical in your dialing up of these Rangers. And the dynamic is also is throughout the series, we've kind of seen, you know, it does follow a lot of the Green Ranger saga. And we find out something about Tommy in this issue too. That's pretty interesting as well. And that kind of causes some of the Rangers, mostly Zach to kind of, you know, yell at Tommy and kind of go after him a little bit. And it's really like, this is the issue where, the Rangers are at their lowest, and now they're fighting amongst themselves, and it's just like, how will they regroup? Will they regroup? You know, and if so, again, how will they? The writing in this is just amazing. The illustrations, when you see the way Prasetya has done the, uh, the power station, everything else like that, the command center, and it's all destroyed. You see all this rubble, and it's just beautiful in a sense. It's like this beautiful disaster. And you see Alpha's helmet and just his hand lying there. And you're like, wow, that adds a certain level of just power and just emotions in here. And this is a much darker Power Rangers. It's not too dark, but it's just enough to where you're like, wow, this is a series that is written by a guy in Kyle Higgins that has grown with its audience and it knows that its audiences are in their 20s so let's give them a you know power rangers set in the 20s even though the rangers themselves of course are still teens right and not only that i mean it stopped short of that what that fan film did where i think that they took it a little bit too far and, and i mean i know we reviewed that as well but i mean when we're talking to kyle higgins back in episode 105 we definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that we were talking about that and the green ranger saga and stuff like that and it's nice to see that He's been able to keep that consistency now into this sixth issue. Right. And the thing is, is that with the Green Ranger, because remember he said in our interview, you know, about the Green Ranger saga and stuff like that. Every issue, especially these past couple of issues, have revealed a new onion, a new layer to the Green Ranger and to Tommy. And especially if you go back and lose issue five, actually, that dealt with uh, or issue four that dealt with, hey, Zack was supposed to be the original Green Ranger. Rita went after Zack before recruiting Tommy to be the Green Ranger. And that was a very interesting motive, a very Mm -hmm. interesting thing. I'm like, wow, what would it be like had Zack been the Green Ranger? And again, that's just unraveling these new layers and onions to the story. And this series has just been a home run. I'm a diehard Power Ranger fan. I think in all of nerd culture, I grew up reading Marvel and, of course, talking about DC. But Power Ranger, I think... If I had a list, like my top thing in terms of just nerd geek culture, it's Power Rangers. And I just, I love this. This is just fantastic. This is a pull hands down. 
Wow, I mean, that that's incredible that, that from somebody that I know how big of a fan you are and I know how much you've praised this series, but the fact that they've been able to keep it going this strong, I think that's great, man. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, again, the vulnerability is just amazing. I think that the way that Kyle captures the vulnerability in the Rangers in this comic is so much, in a sense, better done and more deep detailed done in the comic than in the show in general. Hey, I got in into movie. it. I got into it. So yeah, man. It tells you something right there. So what did you do this week, buddy? I actually decided to do something a little bit different. Haven't done a Dynamite comic in a while on the show, so I decided to just, you know, just on title alone, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read The Great Divide, which is going to be coming out next week. Stories by Ben Fisher, art and letters by Adam Markavich, and then colors by Adam Grzkowski. And, man, i got to be honest. First of all, there's going to be a digital bonus in mm-hmm. every issue, mm-hmm. and it's not like a digital copy of the comic. They have songs that are like a soundtracker that go with the comic. Really? So I thought that that was really interesting. There's actually a link right here on the first page that shows you where you go to get the song and, you know, play this during this kind of thing. I'm like, that's kind of cool. That's pretty interesting. It's like kind of a, a motion comic, if you will. Yeah, it's very interesting. And the, the premise is actually really interesting as well. Now, basically, and I don't want to give away too much, but I, I can give I have to give away some in order to be able to tell you about this book. The Great Divide's about a story where it, there is now a world where... Nobody can touch anybody. Really? If you touch another person, either you die or they die, and whoever lives gets that person trapped in their head forever. So what you're saying is, they've got the touch! They've got the power to yeah. kill each other! Yeah, pretty much. And you don't have that invisible touch. Yeah, okay. That's enough. <laughs> That's enough. We could do this all day. <laughs> but, I mean, think about, I mean, really, and, and of course, that's killed most of the population at this point, wow. and uh, repopulating would probably be pretty difficult, so, yeah. I mean, think about what kind of a world you're living in now, and think about the ramifications of said things, and they deal with that in this book. Wow, so it's kind of like if everybody was rogue from X-Men, and they just couldn't touch each other. Yeah, I mean, wow. in now, any way, per now, se, or form. Now, here's a question I want to ask you, because this deals with people not being able to touch each other, you know, as, when it comes to, like, senses and stuff like that, touch is something that people need, so does this really cover the mentality aspect of this well? It really does, and it, and it captures the kind of way the, you know, what, the way you think the world would be if something like this happened, where everybody's really on edge or, or, or off their rocker, except for the one guy, Paul, who's the main character that we follow in the story now... I mean, they, they go to great lengths to make sure, I mean, you wear gloves at all times, there's mm-hmm. masks, you know, kind of like Star, a Star-Lord type mask kind of thing that, mm-hmm. that people will wear, but there's also trading posts and stuff where you go to get certain things, and ironically enough, one of the hottest items the trading post is porn. <laughs> so, I mean, think I about mean, how important that would be in this kind of society. I mean, it's kind of be hard to kind of, you know, spank bank it when you have everybody wearing Star-Lord masks and you can't really see what they look like anymore. Well, and the funny thing is, is they have, like, peep shows that you can trade for, but again, you can't, <laughs> you can't touch anybody. So, I mean, it's one of those deals. And it's funny because something happens to Paul, the main character in this issue uh, early on. That really complicates things for him going forward, and they go on these things called walkabouts, where it's basically you just try to find the next training post kind of thing, but that's how people tend to die is on these walkabouts, because you either can't find food, or you come across somebody that, that you know, is, is more bearskin, so they end up trying to touch you or whatever, and there's a lot of things that go down in this issue, and he ends up running into somebody, 
that is going to even further complicate his life. And this is where I really, really have to be careful because I don't want to spoil anything, especially since this book isn't out yet. Let's just say that something happens that you do not expect and don't really understand why it happens, but it changes the way that he's going to interact with this person that he came across in this walkabout. Okay, how's the art in this? The art's actually pretty good. I mean, it's it actually kind of looks like an image comic. Really? I mean, something you would expect from, from an image run. I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head. Uh, Limbo, maybe, would be a good example. Okay. Of what it kind of looks like. Um, the, the art is very, very good. The details, and especially when people die, they die in this issue. Like, when you touch someone the way they die, yeah, and it's... Right there, so... Amoebic dysentery. Certainly, well, from the face, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's not great. And then there's actually, like, this little mystery thing at the back, which is which is like, okay, what the hell is this? And is there some secret society that knows certain shit that's going on? Mm-hmm. The only problem that I have with this book, mm-hmm. they don't really explain how the world came to be this way. There is a thing that happens in the beginning where it introduces you to, to like, okay, this is happening now. It's almost like that's when it started, but we mm-hmm. don't know why yet that it started. So it might be more explained later on in the series pretty much, but it's one of those things where, again, you kind of fear because it's like, I hope it's not like issue five or six that this thing gets talked about. That it's like issue two, maybe issue three right. or, or the end of issue two. Because, again, it's kind of like there's this mystery going on about how it started, but really... There's a sense where you have to draw a line between a mystery and just flat out just not telling anybody been being right. lazy. Not only that, but now you're you now because of what happens at the end of this issue, you've established a storyline that mm-hmm. you now have to follow. So now it's, it's going to be difficult for you to now go back and talk about how things became this way in the first place because it's almost like a flashback that's going to be something you don't need and it's going to muddy up the story at this point so i mean i guess how important to you that it is that you find out why the world is the way it is and maybe they'll get little throw-ins here and there the the concept of the story is really good i like that they execute every little detail to a t and they don't leave anything especially what happens at the end is a little detail where like oh shit that's right and it, they don't leave any detail unturned, which I love. And there's a there's an Easter egg in there for diehard fans of a certain val- of a certain uh, dynamite character that I won't give away because it's a nice little haha moment in the middle of the book when they're at the trading post. So if you're a fan of dynamite, you'll like this book. the The story concept is very very unique. The only reason I'm going to give this a pickup is because I think it is kind of a major thing that they do not reveal why the world became this way so if they don't get to that that's gonna i'm always gonna wonder and that's always gonna be in the back of my head no matter how good the story is i'm not gonna be able to let that go right and not just that but if you go x my issues and just like in movies as well when you go so far without explaining a certain big key moment or why Mm -hmm. a certain setting is the way it is what happens is is when you do get to around to explaining what happened you kind of cause this hype and this mystery to grow. And then when you reveal what it is, a lot of times they people go, really? Or, oh. And not be like, wow, that's why right. it happened if you did it early on, you know? Right. And, and I, I, they, they've got to give us something going forward. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how you work that in at this point based on what just happened. But don't not buy this book. I would absolutely pick up this first issue of this book. But going forward, I'm just a little bit worried that 
you know, I wouldn't add this to my poll box right away because now I need to know how long it's going to take for them to get to this. You know what I mean? Right. It's kind of like that scene in Animal House where they're in the car and she's sitting with him. She goes, just, she's just going and her hands move up and down. She just goes, anything yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, are you close? Yeah. Kind of thing. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's definitely a very, very unique story. And, and I love that fact for sure. Exactly, man. That's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Come next, we're traveling to a new world out west. We'll review the trailer for Westworld. Stay tuned. This is Luke Mitchell from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, the last thing we want you to do is fall asleep and slip off to dreamland, especially after you watch the new trailer for the HBO series Westworld. So, Nick, HBO finally getting back into something a little bit in the sci-fi realm. Exactly, of course. It comes out... Sunday, October 2nd at 9 p.m. on HBO, and it stars Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris, Evan Rachel Wood, and James Marsden are the parents of the top-billed cast, I would say. And what this follows is, to what I can get from the trailer, because there's a lot of, conf- some confusing elements in there, and some mysterious elements in there, Anthony Hopkins, who plays Dr. Robert Ford, and mind you, the show's 10 episodes, pretty much created this western dreamland that people i guess pay to go in and kind of live in or be a part of a simulator or whatever and evan rachel wood plays dolores who might be a prisoner i don't know because I, I when i first saw the trailer for this i'm like this has a very assassin's creed vibe in terms of you know, we're going to send you to this world, and but you're really in, like, this laboratory and stuff like that, you know? So right. it had that kind of element to it. There also, because Anthony Hopkins created this world, he said how he constructed this world, had a little bit of the Matrix in there as well. So it's kind of interesting to see how they're mixing this all with the West. Yeah, never mind what Thor was do- doing during Civil War. Now we know what Odin was doing during Civil War. Right. This weird Western world where people go do whatever the hell he wants them to do. Anthony Hopkins looks amazing, and I think a part of it, I'm not sure, like you said, are these, these people don't seem like willing participants. No. I think that they were like, maybe they were kidnapped, or they're sentient beings or something. Basically, these people are the vessel for whatever beings or, are in this dream world somehow. Or, remember, we see this, like, plastic molding, what looks to be like a human skeleton. Could they be just creations? People, he's created these sentient beings yeah, that and Anthony could Hopkins that too. made. Because remember, at the end of the trailer, Dolores asks... Uh, Robert Ford, she goes, are we old friends? He goes, I wouldn't say old friends. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd go that far. Right. I wouldn't say we're old friends. No, and, and that's the thing. It's like, this is like you said, it's like Assassin's Creed meets Inception meets what, Unforgiven. I don't know. Right. I mean, pick a Western, I guess, 310 to Yuma because, and it's funny, you know, way to be the old guy and, and pick the Western theme, you know? Right. And, <laughs> and the character that we haven't gotten to in this Odin's sleep of a dream is Ed Harris, and he, of course, plays the man in black, and the man in black pretty much is looks to be killing people within this world, because mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins, one thing he says, remember, the people are fake, so maybe he's saying that to whomever and saying, hey, if you have to kill somebody in here, it's okay because they're fake. Maybe they're not so fake as we see. Maybe they're just mm-hmm. being people who are trapped in this world. We don't know. But again, that adds to this mystery. And Ed Harris is saying, you know, I'm going to free you. Could that mean I'm going to free you because this, 
you know, death is the only way you can escape because people are dying rapidly in this world. And apparently that's a thing in this yeah. world too. You can die several times. But when he says, what if you, you know, what if I told you I was here to rescue you kind of thing? I'm like, really? That's interesting. And even yeah. uh, the Bernard Lowe, who's played by Jeffrey Wright, of course, you know, from Hunger Games fame, he's like, Something's, something went wrong or I did something terrible. I'm like, okay. How do you know that? If you're right. in this world, how do you know? So it's it's very much a how much are you aware of what's going on inside and outside of this world? And at, at some point, it seems like, like, like you said, like the Matrix, like they wake up from it somehow. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what what is what is that process and what happens when that happens? And I think the fact that we have all these questions, though, is the point. Right. And again, going back to my whole Assassin's Creed thing, when you have... You know, you're seeing Dolores in this kind of lab tech setup like when she wakes up. And then you have this whole thing of when she goes back, it's kind of like, again, what does she, you know, is he trying to get something from these people? Is there something like, is there a person who's a key? Again, we don't know. All we're given is this is who Anthony Hopkins is, this is what he's created. And something seems to be going wrong within it, but why, though? Right, and it's a world where it seems like you can kind of explore your darkest desires kind of thing. But whose desires and who's making these decisions? Like you said, is it the people that are in this world? Or is it people that are paying to view and be a part of this world? And it's like, you know, it's like the the weirdest video game ever. We're like, I want her to kiss a woman. So you make this person kiss the woman and, you know, however far that goes, whatever. Right. Maybe that's your darkest desire and you can act that out through this world. I don't know, but I think that it's okay that we don't know. And that's the point. And it seems that there's a little bit of a love story, a little bit of a love interest between Teddy Flood, who's, of course, played by James Marsden, and Dolores Abernathy, of course, again, played by Evan Rachel Wood, and maybe that plays into it as well, because maybe it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, we're sending you into this world, don't fall in love, Mm -hmm. don't do this, stick to these rules, again, we don't know, and that, again, adds to this mystery thing. Now, my only issue with Westworld, again, this is just going off a trailer, is that will it get too insane or too mysterious for its own good and too confusing right Right. how much inside of its own head is it going to get trapped in right i mean if anybody that's watched inception which was a great movie but there were even times when you're watching inception you're going okay where are we and how deep are we are we into this and who's there and what's going on kind of thing and that was one of the things i worried about with mr robot which we both love and still love was that Early on, I was worried, okay, how deep are we going to go here, and is this going to get too confusing for its own good, which it did not, and it still is not. But with something like this, I do worry about that, and, and it's HBO, and they're, you know, their st- storytelling is pretty deep, so I wonder if that is the possibility, if that could be the case. Well, just that, you also remember, this is, I believe, the same people that did Deadwood, too, so you got that. So it's like, if there's people who know Westerns, it's HBO. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, if, if, if anybody's going to get this right... It's probably HBO. I mean, I think Netflix will probably do a pretty good job, too, but this is the kind of show you want to be on HBO. All right, James, before we end our talk about this trailer for, of course, Westworld, I want to present to you an, uh, an idea, more of a question. Okay. Make one prediction Do you, you think will happen in the show, and I'll go first. I think that Anthony Hopkins is the creator and that these are sentient beings. These aren't actual people. Uh, I would agree with that. I think that 
I mean, and people are going to say, well, you know, it's inspired by the 1973 Michael Crichton film, right? But yeah, I mean, when you do something like this, you're going to take certain liberties. So I don't think this is going to be like an adaptation of that. So no, I kind of push that aside. I think, I think it's more going to be of a deus ex machina. Kind right, exactly. Of I think it's going to be more like that. And, and I'm going to predict that Ed Harris is not going to be the shining savior that we all think he is. I think that it's going to seem it's going to be one of those things where it seems like in the beginning that he's trying to save everyone, but in reality, it's exactly the opposite. And that's going to do it for our talk about the Westworld trail. Come next, a bunch of nerd news, including Deathstroke making his way into the DCEU. This is Benjamin Percy, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time we go around the internet and I gouge your eye out because it's time for what? Nerd news! Oh, let's gouge your eye more like it is in the comics where, you know, I'm the ex-wife who shoots your eye out pretty you, much. You'll have to guide me because I can't see now. I pretty Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, where I'm guiding you, sir, if you hold my hand and the only one I have, is that, you know, Ben Affleck, he likes to give us a little bits of gifts here now and then, you know, and things like dropping certain teases and stuff like that. Well, goddamn, at the start of the week, did he drop something major? He really did, man, and something I think that we kind of found out ever since Manu Bennett was removed from the Arrowverse that we'd be getting Deathstroke on the big screen, and boy, have we ever, because Batfleck posted the tease, and man, I gotta tell you, this is the Slade we've been waiting for, I think. Well, I don't want to jump too far into that. Because well, the look, the look. The, okay, the look. I'm about to say, I'm like, he never speaks a word. We don't. He hasn't been cast. Yeah, the, the look is it's what I meant. test footage. The look is what I meant. Yeah, so he released <laughs> test footage of Deathstroke, of course. It looks to be that he is actually a, a, aboard the Flying Fox. And cause, you know, it looks like if you look hard, you see like some, uh, I believe it's like the Batmobile or something like that in the background. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's interesting. Now... The thing is, we're not going to dive into is, oh, he's going to be in Justice League or he's going to be in Batman. Because we don't know because yeah. the Batman movie is still being written and it's still filming Justice League. My guess is, and we both kind of agreed with this, is that he's going to be the end credit stinger, possibly. And I think that he's going to fit more within the Batman solo film. Now, I know it's been, you know, I don't think there's really been a release date for the Batman solo film, but. I think he'd fit more into that, you know? Well, there's writing on the wall here, too. I mean, this is Ben Affleck right. who released this. Ben Affleck, who's writing, producing the Batman directing. solo movie and directing. So, I mean, come on. I mean, if, if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. And, you know, would any of us be disappointed with a Deathstroke Batman showdown no. in a Batman solo movie? No, I don't think we would. Now, here's the thing that I hope stops soon and i don't know if you'll agree with this somebody posted a the same footage with ron perlman's voice dubbed over yeah as deathstroke and i and i know he was deathstroke and the teen in, in teen and teen titans and it, it needs to stop man he's he's, no. he's old man no. like, and, I, I, I know slade is an older character but no he can't do the fight scenes man no like, and not only that but i mean think about it He's going to be unmasked at some point, okay? Right. And Ron Perlman is just not going to be able to do it. I mean, I even questioned him possibly being Cable in a Deadpool movie. Never mind, Deathstroke. So, I right. Mean, yeah, guys, stop. No, no. I mean, I don't know who I would cast for, for, you know, as Deathstroke, but, I mean, 
the way I see it is, I think it's it's great that we're getting him in the DCEU. Uh, again, I, my thing is, I hope that he's not a character in the Justice League movie only because yeah. everything that they're doing with Steppenwolf and that's going to lead in the dark side and everything else like that, uh, I think he'll get lost within the shuffle. And I think that, you know, you put him in the Batman movie, I think it would fit a lot better. I mean, to have that final fight between he and Batman, that'd be pretty kick-ass. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what they need to do. I mean, unless there's, it's like one of those stinger things where you know you're going to see him again later. I just don't see why you would make him a part of the Justice League movie at all. So I think it'll be Batman solo film. I don't think we're getting like a Deathstroke movie or anything. No, no, don't go there. So yeah, I think it'll be Batman solo film. I mean, I'm a little bummed that it might not be Hush now, but hey, Deathstroke, I'll take that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, again, it's going to be pretty, pretty awesome to to see that. Now, speaking of things that are pretty kick ass, we're going to stay in the DC realm. Rebirth. You know, it was released in June, and it's just been kicking so much ass. Well, how much ass, you ask? Well, let's just say it sold 12 million issues this summer. I mean, wrap your head around this for a second. There were 11 issues that topped 200,000 in sales. Right. And then 60, six zero titles that exceeded 100,000. And not to mention the Rebirth special that Jeff Johns did is in its fifth printing i mean it's ridiculous i mean and that's just one of the 21 titles that went back for multiple printings i mean think about that this is since june right and that's why it's such an amazing feat because it's 12 million and the thing is you know people say well going to a little bit of a movie route here you know some blockbuster movies they start like april may pretty much that first week of may that belongs to marvel pretty much is is that that start people say that official start for this to come out in June, and we're now in September, that's amazing. Like, it that really is. is amazing how much they're printing out and how much they're putting out. And again, you know, you you said this when I posted it on my Facebook, you know, how this is what happens when you do it right and you have such great teams on these books that get these characters. And you put good teams on books that ended up exceeding your expectations, like Green Arrow and Red Hood and yeah. stuff like that. Books that you go, okay... You know, we want to put these in Rebirth and see what happens. And then you see this great success with these books and you go, wow, okay. And they start going back for multiple printings and it's stuff like that that made this happen. And you've said this on previous shows as well. This is also what happens when you change up creative teams, get a little bit different perspective right. on things and on characters. You know, like with Rucka being back on Wonder Woman and Tom King taking over Batman and Joshua Williamson being on The Flash. I mean, it just, it brought a... You know, the, the cliche is the rebirth. It really did. It brought a rebirth and a new energy into a lot of the characters that we love without having this dramatic change to the characters. Well, yeah, because you're taking these characters. Remember in the rebirth special, Dr. Manhattan gets rid of like 10 years within the universe. So you have that restart, that rebirth, and you get the, the characters to allow you know, themselves to go back to what made them so great, you know, going back to when we held the DC panel, when we moderated it, and Steve Orlando talked about, hey, I want to take Supergirl back to what made her great, and I think that's what's great about Rebirth, and he's right about that, you know, mm-hmm. it's the ability to say, okay, we understand some people didn't like where the new 52, and, you know, and even some cases DCU took these characters, let's do this, and let's go back to what made these characters so great. Now, having some misses, i.e. Deathstroke, 
Sure. Yeah. Sure. But you're going to have them. Not everything is going to be great. But the thing is, even if something hasn't been great, it hasn't been horrible. Right. It's not that it was bad, per se. It just wasn't and, for us. Right. And not only that, but especially from our perspectives, there were certain books that set the bar so high, especially right. early on, that as you did the staggered release, which they needed to do, that was the right thing to do. But once you get to like a death stroke or something like that, if it doesn't like blow you away right away, you're you're going to go, eh. Just because some of the stuff that came earlier is right. so spectacular. So, like you said, it's just it's not for us, and it's not that it was bad. It was just that when you're looking at, like, Green Arrow and Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, you're going, okay, this just – it doesn't seem to measure up as much. Well, and here's the thing, too, is you know something we haven't mentioned yet is, of course, Dan Abner, who's doing Aquaman. What he's yeah, doing with Aquaman – where Aquaman and Mira are enemies of the state now. Yeah. And they're taking on the government and, you know, Mira's going nuts and, like, killing these soldiers and these people who are attacking them. And Aquaman's like, no, we need to, you know, not, don't, you know, you need to hold back on killing them, you know, just, you know, knock them out or whatever and yep. stuff like that. And it's a very cool idea. It's a very cool concept. And every every concept feels fresh, like what they're right. doing with Superman uh, you know, Pierre Gervais is doing with Superman, and you know, again, you know, Tom is doing with with Batman, and what Tom did with Gotham in Gotham Girl is very fascinating. And what he did at the end of issue five, my God, Gotham Girl is going to be, I think, one of the newest and best interesting characters. Oh, definitely. Uh, that has been newly introduced into this this rebirth realm, and you know, Blue Beetle came out recently, and that was pretty good. That was pretty good. But again, it's just these characters and you're getting these new creative teams in there and it's really just showing what happens when, you know, and I'm going to say this, Marvel, take notes. Like, you yeah. know, we don't, you know, this is what they need to do. And, you know, as well as a, somebody who grew up on Marvel, I really wish Marvel would stop trying to push stories forward and not be afraid of revisiting their past in right. terms of, Hey, let's have an event and kind of like get characters going back to what made them great. It just feels like Marvel's just gotten too going forward and they don't really look back and entertain that kind of history that what made them great in that kind of golden era of superhero comics. Right. And I mean, think about it. We're getting lost on all this as well as you keep hearing all these talents that are signing exclusive deals with DC with everything that's going on with Rebirth. I mean, Liam Sharp, Otto Schmidt, Robson Rocker were just a few of the ones that just signed those deals and there's been plenty more before that i mean what does that tell you that means that these creators are basically signing their time away right they want to work on something that they believe in and they they think really has some legs to the future i mean the trades for these issues they they announced they don't even come out until january right and, so yeah i and mean they and they just announced justice league versus suicide squad right like, that's freaking amazing right so i mean think about it and i'm not saying that they're doing this because they don't want to work for marvel they don't believe in what marvel's doing it's the exact opposite they believe in what dc is doing so much that they're like you know what i just want to focus on this so i mean that should tell you a lot about what they're doing and as far as marvel goes yeah they they but you know marvel seems like they're the king of the t's and then they under deliver Right. So I hope that they are paying attention. I hope that they're going to decide to do something that kind of takes the characters that they have back to the roots. And if they want to create some new characters, fine. But you, you got to make it worth it. You got to hit a home run. You can't just hit a soft liner to the outfield. Definitely, man. Definitely. And again, when you when you have a zero issues that are just 
get grabbed. I mean, that zero issue of Red Hood, the Outlaws. Oh my god! Holy oh, shit! Was, was that that was literally I think one of the best zero issues I've ever read. It was I, really good, and and it was just what the, what's the funny thing is that was one of the cases where it was the same writer. Right. <laughs> but he took it to such a different height. It was right. crazy. It's like, wow, this is what we could have had all along. And closing out Nerd News, you know, we talk about Stranger Things, and this appears going to be the, what, third week in a row we talk about Stranger hey, Things. it's hot, man. Yeah, man. And, hey, they released a trailer for season two. Now, the way they did it, of course, if you're listening to this, odds are you've seen the trailer for season two of Stranger Things. They listed all the titles, and what I counted them all appears to be a nine-episode season two. And the titles are Mad Max, The Boy Who Came Back to Life. We're going to get to more in a second. But what I want to do is the setting is set in the fall of 1984. So what I want to do, James, is I want to kind of run through these nine titles and kind of give a little quick idea of what each episode might be about. Okay. So, first one is called Mad Max. Now, what do you think that might be about? I think it's going to be about Hopper and maybe how it's going. To, I think it's going to be more about a a flashback thing with Hopper in terms of his his daughter getting sick and everything else like that, and kind of how get, he, and how he became an addict. I think we could get some of that, or it could be one of those things where now we find out what he's doing because clearly something's going on at the end of the finale. Where he could be working with these gut with this weird agency now or something in some mm-hmm. capacity, or maybe trying to figure out the secrets of what's going on in the upside down or something, and if there are more breaches anymore, kind of thing. So I think that we could get some of that as well. Right. Uh, the second one's called "The Boy Who Came Back to Life." That's easy one right there. Yep. That's sure. very easy. It's going to be about Will, and maybe we'll find out if he's going to be spitting out any more aliens into the sink. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's also going to be about kind of like, you know, how he came back to life when he was supposed to be dead and kind of yeah, explaining that. Yeah, how you explain that? that, yeah. Right. You know, you can't say, oh, he was at his dad's because, you know, they live in the same place. They had a much. funeral. <laughs> yeah, they had a, he has a tombstone. Come on. <laughs> uh, the next one, the third one's called the pumpkin patch. See, to me, that one seems like it's going to definitely be Halloween themed. Right. But is that where it's going to get creepy? Is it going to be like, you know, somebody's going to, you know, dress up as something and somebody's going to have like a PTSD type flashback deal. I mean, we could be talking about Nancy or we could be talking about uh, Will's brother. There, there's a number of things that they could do. Or maybe Halloween's just too creepy for Hawkins after everything that happened. I don't know. Well, maybe remember there's that scene where it looks like the Demogorgon is pretty much, looks like he's, it's eating or ate these eggs or whatever. So maybe it might yep. be like that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is called the palace. Now I think that this one and has been kind of a little bit of different ideas. Of what it is. I think when you think of the palace, I think it's gotta do something with the state. I think it's gotta be yep. the government. It's gotta be, this 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 building that they have yeah the palace is definitely going to be like their their headquarters i think is the best way that we can kind of describe it and maybe we'll finally find out because you know we didn't really find out what they were doing right you know in that facility i mean we know what they were doing but we don't know what the end game was we don't really know why they were doing it we really don't i mean that was that was kind of left as a mystery and i think that that's not necessarily a bad thing and maybe the palace is where they kept the other ten. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second because there's actually an episode that I think 
deals with that. Uh, the next one's called The Storm. And this one, I think that this is going to bring birth to maybe some new monsters we're going to see or something creepy we're going to see, really. Yeah, I think so, too. I think this is when... Uh, this is their shit hits the fan episode, I think. I mean, because they're, they're probably going to start out a little slow because they have a couple things to explain from season one. But this is when, like you said, the whole eating of the eggs thing, this is when it's going to go down. I think this is when we could see either another Demogorgon or some sort of other monster that's going to escape from the other side because we knew the blood drew them out before. Well, now maybe there's something else that draws them out. Maybe it's bad weather that draws them out. Maybe there is going to be a literal storm that's going to drag these things out. So... Maybe it'll be like like a Hoth type thing where we get a snow demogorgon or something. I mean, it is Indiana, so right, exactly. And then the next one, this is where I think that you, some of you talked about just now uh, is going to come to first one. It's called the Polywog. I think that's going to be more centered around what will actually spit up in the sink at the end of season one. Yep, yeah, and think about it. The po- what is a Polywog? It's an evolution from tadpole. Mm-hmm. It's a polywog until you get to frogs. So maybe it'll explain the evolution of something. Maybe it's those. Maybe it's the evolution of the actual kids that are being, you know, the other, maybe the other 10 that we were talking about before. I mean, maybe it's something to do with that. Or maybe it's a second stage in an experimentation process that we've yet to really find out about. There's a lot of different things that they could do, but that's the beauty of this show. Maybe it's a man who's half man, half frog. Hey, you never know. You never know. Now, the next one is where I think that this is where we're going to find out, hey, there, as you said during our review of Stranger Things a couple weeks ago, there, there's 11. What happened to the other 10? I think the secret cabin is where we might find out where the other 10 are, or at least what happened to them, possibly. Well, remember when they were talking, when Entertainment Weekly was talking to the Duffer Brothers, too, there's going to be a character called the Lost Brother. Right. So, we don't really know a whole lot about that. Is it literally someone's brother? Is it a brother of, is it a sibling of Eleven's, maybe, in some way? So, that might have something to do with that. It could have something to do with at least some of the other ten. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely where we're going to find out a little bit more information on that. So I'm glad that they seem like they're going to address that, at least in the second season. The next one's called The Brain. I think The Brain is going to be possibly very Aliens-esque. I believe the Dark Brothers talked about how there's going to be a little bit of inspiration from like stuff like Aliens in there. Uh, so I think it might be like, you know, an alien queen or like a monster queen or something at the head of it. Maybe it's like Madam Brain. We don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, Maybe like knows? a mothership type deal right. where, the, where the Demogorgons or whatever the other monsters are going to be. Maybe there's other ones that we just don't know about. Maybe right. that is like a mothership type deal. So, I mean, yeah, that could be very interesting as well. And then in the end, of course, the final episode is called The Lost Brother. Uh, as you mentioned, it might be somebody who's, you know, related to Eleven. We don't know. I don't think it's related to the kids because if if it was, I think that it would have been brought up already in season one because you can't go a whole season really in the first season and like not mention that, oh, one of the other kids has another sibling, you know? Yeah, I mean, every family has that deep, dark secret and think <laughs> about it. In that particular time, having a child out of wedlock wouldn't be something you would necessarily talk about. So it would be looked down upon. So it's a, it's possible that one of these moms has another kid with another with another person, and nobody knows about it. Like Winona Ryder just has like a, a, a another kid who's like in their basement, and he's just tied up with Christmas lights. 
You mean like the kid in The Simpsons, the the Hugo that they kept in the in the attic and they fed him fish heads because yeah. he was the evil twin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, you never know. You never know, you man. Just never know. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, and, and keep in mind, if if they had this child, it would have been way before 1984 as well. So even right. you know, backtrack to the 70s. You think in the 70s somebody had a child out of wedlock, especially if they were a teenager? That's the kind of thing where they shipped, where they told you that they were sending you to their aunt's house to go live for the summer, and then they never came back for like five well, years later, the and then they too. raised the kid as a cousin. Well, here's the thing. Now, here's something that I think is interesting. Maybe it's not what we're thinking about what it is. Well, like, oh, there's like so many, maybe a, a, a brother or somebody who hasn't been mentioned. What if it's Will? What if Will's been infected by this thing? Could be. And he ends up just turning. Like something just happens where he, be, he becomes a demogorgon or just some sort of a monster. Absolutely could be. I mean, he, and he's he, lost. He could be, he could be the vessel. Right. And we don't even know. And right. that would be a tragic thing, but I mean,. Yeah, that could absolutely happen because this thing could have, you know, we don't know what was being pumped into him when he had that thing well, in his mouth and down his throat, you know? Right. Well, here's the thing is when he had the thing down his throat, that, again, I think that was very face hugger esque from Aliens. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So uh, that's why he spit up the polywog or whatever the little thing is. But we'll see, man. It's coming out 2017. I'm, I'm just excited that it's been announced. They're not wasting time either. I love that. I mean, I know that they've had a tendency to space out some of their shows, but I think that they're... I don't think it's going to be anytime soon in 2017. I don't think we're going to get this early. I would say late 2017. But just the fact that we're getting it this quickly, I think, is a really good sign. And I think that it'll allow them to capitalize on a show that people are still talking about months later. And that's impressive. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. But coming up next, oh boy, we're going to be having a revolution on this show. As we have the creative team behind IEW's Revolution joining us to talk about that very crossover. Stay tuned. More Down and Nerdy coming up next. This is Monica Lee, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. One of the things we were super excited about when we first found out that IDW is going to bring the Hasbro world together. We're so excited to be talking Revolution with the three minds behind it. It's Cullen Bunn, John Barber, and Fico Osio. Guys, how you doing today? Doing great. Good. <laughs> doing great here. How are you doing? We're doing pretty good. Now, gentlemen, when we first heard about IDW doing this thing with Revolution, I mean, I kind of felt like I was back in my room playing with all my action figures again and bringing those worlds together. So, I mean, did did your minds kind of race at all the possibilities when you were doing a story like this? And what was that process like? Yeah, uh, you know, like you, I mean, I've been preparing for this since I was a kid. You know, when I was playing with Micronauts and G.I. Joes and, you know, all these toys all together. So, uh, so this is, I mean, it was, it's a, it's a pretty thrilling concept for me. Um, you know, I remember when they first brought it up to me, John first mentioned it to me. I, uh, I said, that's a really, really ambitious project. <laughs> uh, <laughs> frightening, frighteningly ambitious, I think is what I'm <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been working on the Transformers stuff for a you know a while now, you know, but it, it, the, the thrill kind of never goes away. This is like, oh, this is something I I used to just sit there and play with when I was a kid. Now I'm, you know, I, I get to do this for a living, and that, that's pretty great. But yeah, getting everybody together, all the different, uh, all those different characters together is, uh, I don't know, it's just it's something I've always wanted to do with the with the um, with the characters, and it's it's I don't know, it's just really exciting to have the chance to do it and to get to do it with uh, with these guys. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I used to watch the the shows, also the, the cartoons, and I loved it. Mm. 
And when I got the chance to do this, I mean, first, what I thought is that it made total sense to do this idea to make them all together in the same universe. So that was the, the thing that, that excited me the most. And, of course, in the first issue, Action Man makes a startling discovery early on in issue one. What, how important is it in a series like this to have a character that brings that sort of international viewpoint to the story? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's something we've been trying with the comics, you know, for a while. Just, yeah, you know, make it bigger, make it, make it this, make it worldwide. I mean, there, you know, our fans of this stuff are are all over the world. I mean, I just came back from Shanghai uh, from a Transformers convention there, and and I mean, Transformers are huge all over. It's 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 crazy the way the way the world works these days. That you're you know you're, you're in China and people there are a hundred percent up to date on all the all the comics that you're that you're working on. And yeah, I mean, I, you, you know, making the making the scale big, you know, getting Action Man in there, and you know. Reminding people how big this uh, this universe is, um, you know, like Action Man isn't the most uh, well known of all the characters, but he's definitely got his you know his fans, and um, yeah, I think you're right. That perspective is important. At least, at least I I thought so. Absolutely, and actually, one of the things that surprised me in the Zero issue, which I'm sure everybody's read because they made it available for free at idwpublishing.com, uh, was not just the introduction of Miles Mayhem, but actually who it looks like he's going to be working with. So, will we learn more about that, and are we going to start to see more of these unexpected partnerships as we go forward with the revolution? Yes, uh, I think uh, I think the interesting thing about all these characters, uh, and you know, you're bringing all these, uh, you know, what uh, on surface seem like very different kinds of, of of teams and different kinds of characters, and bringing them together. And I think one of the the exciting things about this book is that we're we're introducing not only we're not just throwing all these characters into the same you know into the same toy box so to speak there are alliances being built between you know some of these characters friendships being built with some of these characters there will be alliances crumbling between some of these characters and 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 we'll really get the feeling that uh, we really build up the idea that what's happening in this book is 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 you know it's it's all of these characters have always in some level something about their world has always been you know a part of the other worlds and we're just going to really bring those connections we're, to really put a spotlight on those connections so uh, i think you'll be seeing a lot i'm not necessarily saying you'll see a lot of ally- different alliances but you will see a lot of connections between these characters yeah and i think you get to see some you know some team ups you don't you don't necessarily expect Maybe some things fit together really, um, really naturally, but sometimes even the ones that aren't as obvious a fit, they can make the best pairings. You know, when you get these just crazy, you know, crazy mix-ups, crazy you know, pieces, uh, um, you know, fit, coming together and trying to deal with each other, or just trying to figure out what the other one is in their world. You know, what what, what does a what is a transformer in the world of Miles Mayhem, who, you know, grew up in the Joe Colton's adventure team and, you know, is trying to uh, develop the, the, help develop the mask technology. And, uh, you know, what, what, what does it mean to see a transformer from that point of view? Um, you know, for me, it's a lot about the different, um, the different points of view and the different ways the characters look at each other. They're not necessarily wrong about the way they're looking at each other. It is pretty dangerous to have these Cybertronians running around. So you can see why somebody would be mad that they're there. You know, there's a history of that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think there's, you, you're going to see a lot of those kind of, you know, fun, fun mashups, I think. Pico's one that has to draw them all. Figure out how to get them in the yeah, same panel. The oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and that's actually, it's, 
And that's actually what I want to talk about, because one of the major strengths of the series are the action scenes, not just for how they're written out, but for also how the art clearly and easily depicts what's going on within each panel. So when you three are putting these types of scenes together, what's the one thing you don't want to get lost within them? You know, we've been kind of working on this like like um, you know, like like Marvel style, you know, the old you know, plot first kind of way, and especially in the first issue, you know, a lot of that just went down to went down to Fico. We kind of uh, Colin kind of broke it down into into story beats, but but it wasn't um, you know definitely wasn't as detailed as a as a uh, the, the a typical comic book script. You know, I mean, for, helps a lot. You know, does it help? Yeah, totally. It's yeah. Easy, it makes it easier for me to try to fit all the things together and all the characters. If I had the the scene, for example, more detail, where the camera is, how the angle is, and all that st- stuff, sure. it would make it more difficult for me. I think. This yeah, way, that makes I, sense. I can find a way that fits the scene better or easier for me, and that works. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you've done. It. I mean, like it seems to me, some of the there's these crazy issues of scale in this that you just don't have in any other comic where you've got, you know, you've got, you've got the micronauts that are well, like, like, like four or five inches tall or something. And then you've got, you know, uh, uh, GI Joe that's human sized. Yeah. Transformers, the GI Joe and vehicles, the mask people and the mask vehicles and ROM all the way up to like transformers, like Metro Titans is, is, you know, two miles tall or whatever. I mean, they're, they're, the scale's insane. Um, or the combiner Victorian, like she's, she's giant. So trying to figure out the ways to, I think choreograph that action must be really hard. You know, and I, one of the things I've, I've been, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about these kind of action scenes when you wind up with the GI Joe characters and vehicles or the mass characters and vehicles. And you're really looking, looking at the way like the, the, the star Wars movies deal with it where you're, right. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you see those those science fiction scenes that rip off Star Wars doing it wrong, and it just becomes spaceships moving around, and and you can't tell what's happening. But there's a, a real um, like humanity to it, and the, you know, the sort of cutting inside. You know, the way the same way they cut inside like Downey Jr. and, and Iron Man that you you can see who's in there, mm-hmm. that you don't lose the the humanity of it. And I think that's I don't know that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Like that's sort of the, you know, creating sort of a through line or a um, uh, you know, not losing the personal part of it. Um, and it doesn't help when some of the characters actually are vehicles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Definitely. for me, uh, one thing, at first, this was challenging, you know, to get all the characters together with all the different sizes. But then I started to see this at, as an opportunity. I mean, to for example, you, you never get a, a real sensation on, on how big the Transformers are. Mm-hmm. But you do now here when they're standing next to a G.I. Joe or to a Micronaut. So that that's things at the end work in the favor, you know? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of like the way I'm trying to, to make it work, you know, to use it in my advantage, the size differences. And it definitely shows too, which is the cool thing. And we're talking to Colin Bunn, John Barber, and Fico Asio of Revolution Number 1, of course, is going to be available September the 14th at your local shops and digitally. Now, gentlemen, I definitely don't want to spoil what it is, but in issue one... Something really big happens with Rom, and it has a major impact on this first issue. So how important is Rom's part of the story going forward, especially carrying over from his ongoing series? I think Rom, I mean, I feel like Rom is is definitely a, a big part of the part of the story. I mean, the the event you're talking about, it's not something that you go back from. 
You know, it's it's <laughs> it's you know the story, yeah. Once, yeah. Once, once that unfolds in the comic, you know, it, the, the, you know the the cliche is always nothing will ever be the same again. Right. <laughs> this is the kind. This is the kind of event in a book. You know that moment. Nothing can be the same. I mean, it, it's you know this in the decision for that to happen in the series is not taken lightly. I mean, it's 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 taken with you know with a, we understand that there are major repercussions from what happens at that point, and uh, and and so yeah, it, even if Rom were not seen in the series again, it would be, he would have already. Be you know like one of the MVPs of the book, just <laughs> pretty much, but, pretty uh, much. But but he That's he sure. continues to have a a big uh, a big role going forward. I I'm actually just as excited. The ROM stuff in issue two is some of my favorite stuff. I, I love it. I mean, oh, it's, good. it's so awesome. And uh, you guys talked about you know how the Joes are viewing the Transformers and vice versa. And in the series, you know, I view them as threats from everything that's happened in the past. So. If they took a more subtle approach to the Transformers and just held a nice sit-down intervention for them, what would, like, what would it look like and which of the Joes would write the most interesting letter? Snake Eyes. He's very eloquent. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I can see that. Use your words. Use your words. <laughs> Shadow puppets. <laughs> Maybe Morse code. The other Joes, after all. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, if, if we've learned nothing, it's that the military complex is all for sitting down and talking things out with perceived threats. So <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if it was uh, if if that would have ever happened, but uh, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know who would have have spoken the most. Uh, who who would have written the most uh, compelling letter, love letter to Optimus Prime? I don't know. Who that's <laughs> I, I think I think going into it, I mean, the stuff that John has been doing has really set up the fact that I don't think the Joes just are interested in writing love letters to the Transformers in any way, shape, or form. Just picturing Joe, you know, Optimus when Megatron knocks you into a building filled with people, that hurts me personally. <laughs> No safe spaces on Cybertron either. I can tell you that right now. So no safe spaces. I'm not sure that they would under, even understand what was going on. But I mean, think about it. I mean, if, if you guys were an ordin, if you guys were just the ordinary citizens that were kind of in this world and you're seeing all this stuff unfold in front of you, I mean, who do you think you would trust and support in the conflict? I mean, even if you did have all the information. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I seriously don't know. You know. I think each one of the these groups has has a solid point, you know. Like a, I don't know. That's what I think at least. I, I feel like you're asking us some sort of generational question. Like you know the the, the, the old fogies are going to be like, oh, GI Joe. <laughs> the, the younger generation are all about the Transformers, and it's just gonna, you know it's it's just a generational breakdown. Um, <laughs> that's that, that, that that's two year difference between when they came out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably. I. I mean, if I had to choose, I'd probably be like because Rom is just one of those guys where like he has a, has like his his thing, and I I would be kind of like on Rom's kind of side there a little bit, and, and maybe on the side of the Transformers as well. Yeah, young guy right there. 
Yeah. And, and the only problem and the only problem with Rom is if you're reading the ongoing series, they basically think he's just randomly murdering people. <laughs> so right. it's kinda hard to get behind that guy, but good job cheering for a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Colin, we've known each other for a little while here. I'm you know I'm pretty sadistic, so <laughs> <laughs> Well and then and then you've got the Joes doing the shoot first, ask questions later thing. Right. You know, there's you know, there's not a whole lot of trust there going on. Well, you know, I, I do think it's, you know, all joking aside, I think it's it's interesting because I think all of these character groups have made mistakes and they're trying to do what they think is right, but there are mistakes, there, you know, there are mistakes made along the way that, uh, you know, people are answering for now. Oh, exactly, exactly. And, you know, this question, of course, is for all three of you. So since starting this project... Uh, what are some takeaways you've had working with these characters so far? And what do you hope you, to maybe learn about yourself as both a creative team and as individuals as the series progresses? Yikes. That's yeah. a deep one. Uh, <laughs> we go deep here. Yeah, we yeah, really do. Yeah. We, we don't pull any punches here. <laughs> um, personally, uh, I'd be glad if I, if I can make it. You know, make all the deadlines. <laughs> make sure they survive all this thing of this. That would make my day completely. Fico's just yeah, hoping I've learned Fico will take almost any amount of abuse. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we, we do have to talk about the amount of abuse Fico takes because, uh, I mean, when I saw that first image that he drew, I was like, oh, wow, this, this is amazing. This guy cannot keep that up for this series. You know how when you used to watch the old cartoons, the opening sequence was amazing. It was awesome. It was super, right. super detailed. And then you get to the episode and you were like, oh, what happened? I, really, I mean, no offense to Fico. I thought that was what we were going to get. But, no, instead, but instead, what we got was every panel has that kind of detail and yeah. that kind of attention. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. It was, it's shocking to me. We have So we have someone who is – Super, you know, dedicated to making this look amazing. Andy has that awesome accent. I, you know, <laughs> what, we could, what more we could ask for? We're not. There's no stopping that man. I can tell you right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been it's been really challenging. I mean, those those spreads. Those, every time I hit a double spread, it's a double page. It's like, oh no, <laughs> I, I cry a little, but you know. <laughs> I get it through it, I think. I like that, you know, we give him pages that, you know, it's a double page spread. And getting back to this subject of scale, on this double page spread, spread, there is a robot the size of a mountain and a robot the size of a, to- uh, you know, an action figure. Make it work. <laughs> Four robots. Six yeah. micronauts and ten JHLs all in the same. <laughs> I, I can I can see what's going on here now. Well, you know that's what we cool. But like I, can, I can see right now that it's Colin and John conspiring behind the scenes, saying, "Let's see if we can get Fico to do this." I bet yeah. you he can't. And there's bets going on back and forth. I can see that happening. Yeah, well, re- relax. Right after the double page spread, there's a nice seven panel page you can relax right. on. <laughs> you, know. you know what it is? It's like that. If you've seen The Simpsons and Homer's in Hell, and his torment is he has to eat like all these donuts, and he eats them, and then the demon is just like amazed, like, "Wow, he actually just ate them all!" Yeah. Like that is Fico. <laughs> that's, that's like twenty micronauts and like six transformers. Wow, he's still going. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can't wait to see what's happening in the rest of the series if Fico doesn't die from the carpal tunnel. Uh, we know that Revolution Number 1 is available September the 14th at your local shops and digitally. You can still get Revolution Number 0, as a matter of fact, for free at idwpublishing.com. And all the tie-ins, all the release schedule is going to be in these issues as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this week to talk some Revolution. 
Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Thanks. Artists, they draw. For an ice pack a day, you can save Fico Asio's wrist from Carpal Tunnel. <laughs> Please, s- send them now. For a second there, I thought it was going to be at a poetry slam. I thought you were going, <laughs> I thought you were going real deep, because we got deep there at the end when we were talking to Cullen Bunn, John Barber, and Fico Asio. I mean, revolution, why not? I know, man, and the revolution is just when you see this whole Hasbro universe come together and the way that these guys are putting it together, it's it's beautiful. It's just there's no way else to describe it other than beautiful and just great. And, you know, we had that question that we were talking about, you know, who would you – if you didn't know anything, who would you stand by? And, you know, you're reading this and you know – and you see what's going on, of course, because you're reading it. You know what's going on, so therefore you're informed. But throughout, even when you're done reading the book, you're kind of like, well, this team has a point. Well, this team has a point. Well, this character has a point for what they're doing. You know, and there are some emotional beats in there, some great emotional beats in there, and just great emotional art that's in there as well by these guys. It's just an amazing series. Yeah, and what the cool thing is, like you said, it's not that simple. No, There is not. not a simple answer to who you would back because you don't really know unless you're – and obviously, hopefully, we never have to go through anything like this in real life. <laughs> right. But, you know, you, it's just one of those things where it's okay. You know, that you're, you're smart. Your mind tells you to go with the Joes. But if you see everything that's going on with the Joes right now, you don't necessarily support what they're doing. So, right. you know, it's not that simple. I think that's one of the cool kind of side parts of Revolution other than the fact that, hey, all these characters that we loved when we were kids – they're all together in the same universe now, so there's that. Right, and that's the thing is that, you know, as Colin said, you know, the Joes aren't known for sitting down and talking things over. Right. They're, you know, hey, let's grab our guns and let's go and shoot missiles at people, you know, kind of a thing. And that's the way it is. And it's and it, and it caused you to look at the Joes one way, but then you see what the Transformers are doing, and you're like, okay, it caused you to look at it a different way. So one thing about this series that you can just give, especially from the issue zero is that this is going to be a series that's going to cause you as a reader to think. It's going to be cause you to be conflicted, but in a good way, though. Right, exactly. And it's just the way that these characters do come together. And, like, the who's working with, with each other stuff? It makes you go, what? Really? Are you kidding me? And, yeah, if, you re- if you're reading some of the ongoing series, there is some stuff that kind of floats into the Revolution world, too. And, uh, you know, it's just so hard because you want it to just jump right out of your mouth and say what's going on. But it's not coming out till September the 14th. So we can't do that. We can't spoil it for you. We won't spoil it for you. That's what we don't do here. But what we do want you to do is go to your local comic shop, ask them how many copies of Revolution they're going to be getting, and tell them to up it because they're going to need more. You're going to want this series for sure. And the 20 variant covers that come along with it, by the way. Oh, exactly, man. Again, the art is beautiful. The way that it's scripted is phenomenal. Again, it's going to cause you to think, and that's something a lot of comics should do, and actually they are doing a lot of now, is they're causing you to think, especially with what they're talking about. And then there are certain realities you can grasp with Revolution with the real world, which is great, you know, and there's just certain things you can do with this book that's just, it pulls at you, and it causes you to really look at the world around you in general and just view things differently. You might change your worldview on things as well. But again, this is just a great book, a great series. IW, again, just hitting it out of the park with the Revolution. You know, again, as we said, with San Diego Comic-Con, man, when they first announced this, we were we were hyped. Yeah, and I mean, we've been waiting for the hype for over a year now, and now that it's finally here, it's like everything you wanted it to be and more. I'm just, I'm so happy right now that the child in my head 
is screaming. The five-year-old, six-year-old me is jumping up and down right now. <laughs> and meanwhile, your two-year-old is screaming because bloody murder as well, but for right, obvious except, different reasons. Exactly. It's like, change my diaper, Dad. And <laughs> hey, you might need a diaper change too after reading this issue because there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. You might not be able to control yourself because you won't be able to put it down. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down Nerdy Podcast. And thanks to the great Colin Bond, John Barber, and Fico Asio for coming on. And talking in Revolution with us again. This series, when it's released September 14th, when issue one comes out, you have to grab this series because this is just such a great culmination of IPs and just characters coming together. And remember, issue zero is available for free on IWPublishing.com. And hey, we're on the internet as well. Go to Facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Down Nerdy 757. I'm at Merck with one arm, Mr. Witham, go. I'm at James Ace Witham, that's W-I-T-H-A-M. You want to get Revolution Number Zero and you can't find it on IDWPublishing.com, you can get it at our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. Go to the This Week section, scroll down to the bottom, we'll have a link right there. You click on the cover, you get Revolution Number Zero absolutely free. We'll try and get a pre-order link for you for Issue 1 as well if you want to buy that digitally. And just a whole bunch of other great stuff. Find out what other comics we're reviewing. As a matter of fact, Nick went to the IDW realm one more time for our review on our website. He reviewed... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe number one. Read the review of that. Maybe you're going to want to add that to your poll too, but that's just what we're doing at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, pack safe, comp agreeing, and please give Fico some ice packs. Will you send him some?